Hey, how's everyone going? Welcome on to, welcome back into Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I have an exciting live guest for you today who will be taking your questions as we go along. It is Bay McFarland, who um, is the founder and principal of Mary's Advocates, where they're, they're upholding the dignity of marriage, um, their strength in marriage. Um, she, she has a ministry to reduce unilateral no-fault divorce. And I support those who um, have been unjustly abandoned. What she means by that, she'll talk some more about that. Um, you know, Catholic Church teaches that marriage is a sacrament. That once people are married, they're married. All right? So death do us, death do us apart. And um, there's times when people leave a marriage, right? Um, and uh, But the people, you know, we're still married, right? We're still married, regardless of what the, the courts say, the civil the civil courts say, you know, and countries don't have a relationship with the Catholic Church, regardless of what the civil courts say, particularly in the United States. Um, if a person goes to court, divorces you, whatever, you're still married, according to what the church teaches. And so, and that's what she means by people have been unjustly abandoned. And she, um, her ministry helps people um, live as they're married, um, regardless of whether the spouse is there or not. So it's a beautiful ministry. And so she'll be on. She'll be. She'll be talking about that. She'll be taking your your questions. And so, and we will begin right after this eight second introduction to talking Catholic. <laughs> All right, welcome in, Bay McFarland. Welcome in to Talking Catholic. How are you doing? Hi, David. I'm doing great, thanks. By the grace of God. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So glad to have you. Glad to have you here. And I remember you and I we dialogued some time ago via email uh, because you were looking into some um, something. There was a person who's on some marriage tribunal in the Vatican. He's a cardinal, whatever, and. Um, he was on somebody. He was on uh, one of the lists that had been published by the Lodge of Propaganda back in the seventies of him being a Freemason. So that's when I remember I first started talking to you, and so I'm happy to have you on. So we have a live audience today, and we're going to be talking about you know your ministry and some of the help and support that you give to people who are um, in this issue, and just talk about marriage and family in general. Okay. Super, super. So, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, that was, if I recall correctly, Monsignor Pinto, who is currently the dean of the Tribunal of the Roman Rota. And um, that's like the top position there of a Tribunal of Appeal for the whole world. And he was on this list, I think it was published in the 70s, by a reporter who was learning who was a Freemason. So I was trying to see if there was any record or evidence that could be found because, as at least your listeners may know, you can't hold the Freemason tenets and be Roman Catholic. They, they conflict with each other. And the only reason I got interested in the Tribunal of the Roman Rota is because I've become very interested in canon law and what the church really teaches about marriage, though my work started with no-fault divorce. Right, 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 right. I should put this on, um, do not disturb. So give me one second. <laughs> That's the same ringtone that I have. That's funny. Wait, my phone ringing. You thought your phone was ringing. Got my right, Saint so, Michael here. Ah, also Saint Michael, aren't you defend us in battle? And you're in a lot of battles. But um, let's go back to the beginning. So you were born into a Catholic family, brought up in the faith. 
Yep. Um, tell us a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your faith journey into the time you got married and what inspired, yeah, inspired yeah. you to get in, get into this um, ministry. I'm I'm fifth in a family of seven children, and my dad paid for Catholic education through college for those of us who went to college. And um, my parents didn't know that in the 70s and 80s, a lot of things that they were taught in schools kind of stopped being taught in schools. So my experience as a Catholic was I would, if I did my own homework, I could find out what the Catholic teaches on some church teaches on something, but otherwise I would find different people, whether it be a priest or an instructor in a theology class at Notre Dame or something, we're teaching conflicting things. So I grew up in an era where I was very familiar that there was conflicting information, both saying they're Catholic. And I think anyone my age who's still in the Catholic church can kind of can remember that if they were paying attention to that. So then um, I got married um, to an old friend of mine from college in our late twenties. So we were old friends then because we've been friends you know, since six years before. And um, we had started having kids. Um, I quit my professional job to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, my husband and I ended up running a business out of our home. So when I had few kids, I was very involved in that. But once we had four kids, we were homeschooling family. And then um, when our oldest was 11, without going into the horror story of what was the tension going on in the marriage, my husband filed for divorce against me. And I had no one close to me go through divorce. And that's when I got a very quick, ugly education about what no fault divorce is. Okay. And it's when one party goes to the government and says, I want a divorce. And mm -hmm. depending on how you word it, it doesn't matter. One party's saying they want it, then the court will take over the property and the children and um, assign some kind of support plan. So the party who didn't do anything wrong, who wants to keep the family together, finds themselves in a situation where you've got a government wanting to tell you how to raise your kids and what to do with your property. And this is all very shocking. And I was a stay-at-home mom. And through friends of friends of friends, um, there was a constitutional law professor who was interested in challenging the constitutionality of no-fault divorce. And um, he got involved very late in the case. So he appealed to the Ohio Supreme Court. Um, we lost there based on technicalities. But I just started getting educated on, you know, what does the church really teach about marriage and divorce and separation and what's happening to people like me who are having our children and property ripped away? Um, often it's a dad whose wife leaves him and then the dad is faced with seeing his kids every other weekend and paying to support the kids in a family where the house he's not allowed to live. Or it's a mom who... Um, might be relying on the support of the other parent, the, the husband, and the court, I mean, maybe they give child support, but the child support's not nearly enough to support what the dad used to be providing. So it puts a lot of people in poverty. So that, I mean, that was no fault divorce. And I had no idea that was occurring. And I was learning that um, even priests didn't know because the buzz on the street was that, people, you know, parties get divorced, spouses get divorced as if it's both people agreeing, yeah. but the agreement is a coercion. Um, you know, anyone who's gone through a divorce, if you're a defendant, I think most lawyers will try to get that person to sign some kind of agreement where they agree how they're gonna separate their children and property and some kind of support plan. And if you, if you don't want the government, if you don't wanna do that, then you're faced with a court deciding what will happen with your children and property. And um, because I was willing to challenge the constitutionality of the whole thing, I had to let the court decide because you can't appeal what you agree to. So um, we had our children taken away from me. I was a stay-at-home mom. It was quite embarrassing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people wonder what's wrong with Bay McFarlane. You know, she must have been really dangerous that she had her kids taken away. It's like, well, 
you know? I'm glad I had a spiritual director meeting with me monthly during this time in my life because it's like everything in me, I couldn't agree to that, which I didn't agree to. Mm. You know, and my husband at this, and then we go into the church's position. Um, my husband professed at the time to be a serious Catholic. And it just struck me, this, this doesn't seem right. How can a serious Catholic be doing this to their family? And lo and behold, I um, came upon a whole section of canon law, but that, that's a different can of worms. Um, yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're from Ohio, right? What town? Oh, I grew up in Bay Village, west side suburbs of Cleveland, within walking distance of Huntington Beach. Okay, so I was, okay. Yeah, I was a yeah. beach bum as a kid. Yeah, I grew up a little, maybe an hour away from you in a little town called Warren, Ohio, oh. near Youngstown. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um I know we were talking before the show, you're still you're still there in Ohio and you're you're working on um you're still gonna start working on your canon law degree pretty well, soon. Well God willing, um because I had been a stay at home mom doing work with my husband and then working less and less, when the kids got taken away I had to find some kind of work. So I was working as a contractor and um that job ended and I started doing this advocacy work shortly after um, my husband left, and it really was just in the beginning, just a website publicizing what I was finding about no-fault divorce. Yeah. And little by little, I also started finding what the church teaches about marriage and separation. And I started showing people how they could ask the church to implement the canon law on separation, which is way different than the canon law on divorce. So um, about five years ago, people started supporting me full time to do the marriage advocacy work. And last year, for the first time ever, there was a little bit of cushion of support. So um, the board and I decided it's time for me to try to work towards getting my licensure in canon law. So right now, as the principal of Mary's Advocates, I'm taking three grad school classes um, online from Franciscan with the goal of enrolling in a licensure program, which is years out, but it uh, gives me more um, teeth, so to speak, when I help people in canon law things. Yeah. And so we're on your website now. I'm just poking around. Um, so this is Mary's Advocates Upholding True Marriage website. It's at marysadvocates.org. Um, Bay, she does take, um, this is her ministry. She does take donations. Um, she does have a budget that she has every month and goals, financial goals. So those in the Talking Catholic audience, um, if you believe in Bay and her work, definitely hop over to her website and make a, a contribution. Um so, so the, perspective that, the perspective that Mary's Advocates takes is not a popular common perspective. And the people who find us, they already love this perspective. They just didn't know there's others publicizing it and supporting each other and holding it. Hmm. And it, it has to do with knowing that once a civil divorce occurs or you're separated, that doesn't end marriage. So how does one live that out? Right. You know, how do you view your spouse? How do you talk about your spouse? You know, we still wear our wedding rings, that kind of thing. Um, we don't say our marriage is ended. Um, we tell our kids that, you know, dad is my husband. These yeah. kinds of things where the secular world looks at you like you've got, you know, three eyes because your marriage is over. What's wrong with you? Who yeah. wants to be with someone that doesn't want to be married to you? Like that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. So what is what is that type? Because I know you provide resources. You have books that you provide. You people who um who who come to you. What does that what does that life look like for a person who 
Because um, there, there's two alternatives, right? If a person um, just uprights and the, divorces you, you're you're a faithful Catholic, and they just they just leave, they go to the civil courts to seek divorce. Um, you still recognize the fact that you're married, so you're not going to get an annulment or whatever like that. Um, they may seek one or whatever, but what does that life look like? Because it's not you know when we're you know a lot of people in that situation and you know it's in society today nowadays they say oh you just got to move on get on some dating app uh, move forward with your life but what does that look like for a catholic who just who recognizes or feels that they're unjustly abandoned what does that look like well let me grab the book that we use um the gift of self which is the spiritual companion for separated and divorced divorced uh faithful to the sacrament of marriage I'm just going to look at the table of contents, see if it's going to spark me for some ideas. Maybe I can just go through bullet points because um, she talks, this is the author was from Italy and we translated her book into English and we use this in our support group meetings. Um, we have a monthly phone call that anyone is welcome to join where we just go through the chapters of the book over and over and over again. Um, and then some areas have like in Cleveland, there's a number of us that meet personally and we just go through these themes over and over and over again and share how we relate to it. So like, the separation. Um, when someone walking this path first separates, they're not thinking, I hate the, my other spouse. I'm really going to screw it to them in the court. You know, I want to you know, take the kids from them. It's not this anger. It's, it's an anger of sadness, but it's not an attitude of revenge. It's more a position of, hey, I'm standing for something here. I'm not attacking anyone. I'm just standing here. And then the rebirth, um, for anyone who experiences serious suffering, um, serious suffering, I had experienced no serious suffering. I grew up in suburbia. I went to University of Notre Dame. You know, I, I had a pretty easy life, generally speaking. But when you have your children taken from you and the person who promised to be faithful to you for the rest of your life betray you, um, that is serious suffering. So anyone who's been a defendant in divorce knows suffering they've never experienced before. I mean, I've got people who have multiple sclerosis who have been seriously physically ill who say this is way worse. Being killed would have been, you know, having my spouse die would have been easier than this. Um, but what happens when you experience serious suffering, you, you kind of have to choose, am I going to get bitter or am I going to get better? So what we do is we lean, we lean into Jesus and the cross and our faith and we look at what did saints do when they were experiencing suffering, the whole concept of working towards accepting one's suffering with grace. Like I'm thinking of this woman in New Jersey um, and they're all horribly sad, but she's like, you know, at least I know I can offer my suffering for the conversion of my husband and I can offer my suffering for my children. It's like, it's not going to waste. And this is one of the things that Paul tells us, you know, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake because I complete what's lacking in Christ's suffering for the sake of his body, the church. And also Our Lady of Fatima told the children, you know, penance, penance, penance. Well, someone in a no-fault divorce separated faithful person has plenty of fodder yeah. to um, offer for that. And then she talks about group, um, just having other people who share this because people who don't get it, they really just don't get it. They can try to be sympathetic, but I think outsiders' natural response to a loved one who's suffering is they want the suffering to yeah. But it's kind of like, well, it can't end. I have to learn to live with it. You know, it's like if I got in a horrible accident and I was paralyzed from the waist down, if someone tells me, moves on, go act like you can walk, like, well, I can't walk. 
So um, having other people who share that, I mean, the people who find us really appreciate that. Um, reconciliation, being open always to reconcile with the other spouse. It's an attitude of trying to be a soft landing space, so to speak. So, you know, we let we let our spouses know our position that, hey, we're married and, you know, we like to be acting like normal spouses again. So I'm ready when you are. Now, if there's grave abuse or unrepentant adultery, those are morally legitimate reasons to be separated. And then um, the idea, there's a prayer in here about renewing the I do, where a married person is still a conduit for God's grace of the sacrament marriage. So just because one spouse, you know, abandoned her is like, them um, doesn't think they're married anymore. Well, they're incorrect. So graces are still here. So the separated, the, the one of the one who's still faithful tries to bring those back in. But in, in day in and day out living, you know, people who you're just acquainted with, we would talk about our spouses like anyone else would talk about their spouses. You know, it's it's kind of private. It doesn't unless it comes up, unless your friends actually know your situation. You just treat yourself like you're married. Kind of like if if your spouse had a coma. What would you do? Or if you had a spouse that was, I don't know, in jail or abducted or something, you know, you still know you're married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you do? So, um, if, so your spouse leaves you, right? Both of you guys are Catholic. They leave. Um, and then the one party, the party who left, they seek to file for an annulment, right? Through the church. Talk about that that process as a person who's just who doesn't. I mean, would would you advise your people to the people you minister to to participate in the process or to not participate in the normal process? Um, well, as a result of trying learning about the church's teaching on separation, I ended up kind of getting pushed into the church's teaching on canon law procedures about annulment. Also, so um, some dioceses grant annulments to 100% of the petitioners, which is kind of surprising. Um, and some dioceses, so, so I, I always would suggest that someone participate, definitely. Um, I would suggest someone do their own homework on grounds for annulment, hmm. because there's been a lot of, like I said earlier, kind of conflicting information where I've got some books behind me that are, you know, little paperback books published by some publisher where they're describing reasons for annulment and they use things like immaturity as a reason for annulment. Well, that's not correct. But if someone reads that and they are told, you know, oh, your spouse accused your marriage of being invalid for immaturity, a respondent defendant would not really know how to equip themselves. So I mean, in the last, well, this first, there was a book that came out a while ago for an ordained professor. I want to talk about that one. But three books have come out in the last five years that are very thick. Um, I think this one's written by a Roman Rota judge, The Theology of Marriage, Cormac Burke. This one just came out by a candidate lawyer who got her doctorate on consensual incapacity. Um, this one has a preface by Cardinal Raymond Burke, who was in charge of the Signatura. And then another book that also has a preface by um, Cardinal Raymond Burke, the head of the Signatura. So I encourage people to learn their do homework on grounds for annulment. And if they still think their marriage is valid, I can help people with a lot of procedural things because sometimes tribunals do it the way they've been doing it for 40 years, I guess. I don't know, I just know what I see. Yeah. So I can, I, I, I ghost write letters for people where they don't know of anyone in their area that can be a canon lawyer advocate and has experience upholding the rights of someone trying to defend a marriage. But if the church comes back and so they examine the marriage, 
um, and they say, it, um, and they grant the annulment, the next process would be to do you still, are you still able to appeal that to Rome? People can appeal and um, I'll just let listeners make their own judgment. Has the leadership in the church taken a turn in the last five years that we haven't seen in past decades? Um, I mean, I know Cardinal Raymond Burke, who used to be in charge of the Signatura, has told one separated faithful woman, it's like, you know, tribunals can be wrong. So this gets really into someone's own conscience. In, in our monthly phone calls, there is a man who came back after having been a defendant in an annulment process. And he at first, I mean, he, he was joining our calls, I'll just make up a number, say five years ago. He was joining our separated faithful calls. His wife petitioned for a decree of invalidity annulment. The local tribunal, said your marriage is invalid. Um, he was super busy at work, he missed deadlines, he, he didn't try to appeal. And for a while he was telling us that he kind of acted like he was free to marry and he tried dating. And then in his heart of hearts, he just knew this isn't real, I can't do this. So it's very, very subjective and up, not subjective. I would never tell anyone, hey, your marriage is valid. You know, that annulment is nonsense. I would never ever do that. But an individual who does their own homework has to do what their conscience tells them regarding whether the annulment is legit and whether they're going to go to their grave believing that they're still married. I mean, you don't lose anything by remaining a separated faithful. On the flip side, if the church came back and said, hey, you actually are still married to your spouse and you're like, well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go get married to someone else in the civil form anyway. That's totally different. You know, does that make sense? Yes, yeah, you just sounds sort of so... <laughs> Sounds a little bit like Occam's, or it was an Occam's razor. It's better to just live your life as a faithful Christian, and in the end, you find out there is a God. You're good, right? Right, right. <laughs> right. What's Jesus going to say to this guy when he meets his death? But it's like, you silly guy, you know, you could have been out finding a new partner, and here you are being loyal and, and offering your sacrifices for the woman who you thought was your wife that we you know yeah. wasn't your wife. Or, or then, it, I mean, it gets really into the twilight zone, because say an annulment is nonsense. I mean, Cardinal Burke this woman as much not she didn't say nonsense but he's criticized different things over the years um if an annulment is nonsense i'll just use that stupid word um and then one party remarries are they getting the grace of the sacrament in the second union yeah because their sacrament was the first union yeah. but and, and i don't know if is I mean, when we're talking about a small audience of people who are in that circumstance yeah that's true too that's i think true. a more general audience of people are the ones who've been run over by no-fault divorce mm -hmm. but they feel in their gut and they know well i'm still married but the secular world is telling me i need to move on and that includes calling myself single again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i want to get to a question by from bernadette here um she asked i read that canon law states marriage is a sacrament that marriage is a sacrament is supernatural protected from error why are tribunals tribunals so invested in quickly dissolving what god has joined together hmm um can you read that again or restate it in your own words yeah i read that canon law states that marriage as a sacrament is supernatural protected from error why are tribunals so invested in quickly dissolving what God has joined together. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to um, speculate 
that the quote the person that Bernadette's talking about is a section of canon law that says all marriages are pre um, presumed valid until proven otherwise. So the default for everybody is supposed to be the marriage is valid. Um, so her question is, why are they so quickly giving annulments? Um, I don't know. I could speculate. Um, and, and whether or not they're really quick is, is kind of a, a different, is, is subjective. I have seen situations where uh, a, a defendant is mailed a document that says, hey, your spouse wants to apply for an annulment and their reason for the annulment is no grounds based on the petitioner and no grounds based on the respondent. And like, that's ridiculousness. Imagine if I accused you of stealing that guy's car and I told you, oh, by the way, I'm accusing you of not any date and not any time and not any car, but you're still going to go to court. You're like, what? Yeah. So, so, I mean, in that situation, the woman, I mean, I told her, it's like, hey, you have a right to know in a general way what facts and proofs he's alleging to support the accusation of nullity. And they literally told you nothing. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest you tell them you're waiting to get what you need to get. And then they issued the annulment months later. So that one is pretty strange. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I see a lot of people in the comment section. I see a lot of you guys are looking to talk to um, Bay about. So um, today the news um, was that apparently there's some new documentary out where um, Pope Francis is talking about um, that he's in favor of um, civil unions, that government should allow civil unions for people of, of the same gender. And this is really a new position for Pope Francis, but he, when he's a bishop in, um, in Argentina, he had the same position, you know, something we've known about ever since he was Pope. Uh, I'm still waiting maybe 12 hours from now, headquarters at the Vatican press office, they're going to issue a statement saying the Pope didn't say what we, you know, what the documentary is saying he's saying. But Bay, could you could you just comment on the, the the idea of I mean what is what is marriage and why can't that why doesn't that work in a civil union context for a Yeah, marriage? when I saw that news, I grabbed off my shelf the book written by Professor Father Sebastian Walsh, Understanding Marriage and Family. And if the Pope is saying that people who are same sex attracted possibly practicing acts of homosexuality, you know, active homosexuals should be entering civil unions and they should do so because they have a right to a family. Um, he's giving a definition of family that is contrary to the longstanding church teaching definition of family. Cause I'll just look at what Father Walsh says. Um, family is a communion of a husband, his wife and their children. So if you don't have a man and a woman, you don't have a family. But I, and, and then Father Walsh also goes on to talk about um, the essential properties of marriage. The education of children is super critical. It's the primary goal of marriage. And then there's another end that has to do with other things having to do with mutual health and remedy for concupiscence, that old one, where you're kind of obligated to share in the conjugal act with your spouse on occasion. But that's part of human nature, so it's, it's all fine. But the world, part of the reason that no-fault divorce has been gone unchallenged, I think, is because the secular world really has brainwashed everybody to accept this new definition of family and marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So marriage now is just a number of people. Hey, it might not even need to be a person. I saw a, I saw a lady who married a bridge. Yeah, yeah. 
know, this lady in a wedding dress on a bridge. She married the bridge. But the secular world has redefined marriage and family so that marriage just is anything to do with people who feel like being together. And as soon as one person doesn't feel like that anymore, well, then the marriage is actually ended. And um, that's what No Fault Divorce is about. And the church never said that. God never said that. That's contrary to natural law. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that, um, you know, a, lot, a few years ago, I think it was around 2016, when the Supreme Court, you know, courts throughout the country and some legislations throughout the country, you know, they started redefining marriage, you know, but to be between, be between people of the same gender. But you're, but I, and I agree with you that the, this redefinition of marriage, the first redefinition of, of marriage happened a century before that, some, in some countries longer, when marriage um, became, um, a, lot, a lot of governments started believing that marriage was something that they can define, that it was outside of the purview of the church. And this is something that Pope Leo XIII, he wrote about a lot, it started in his humanum um, genus encyclical, um, about um, education and marriage. Oh. Those are things that, 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 that do not belong to the government. And the, the Catholic Church has never given the had given the government control over education and marriage. The governments had usurped that authority, but it's nothing that the Catholic Church has ever surrendered, right? But I'll, I'd like you to talk about for a minute what, what's what's the issue um, with um, countries that do have a relationship with the Catholic Church. We you know we call them concordant 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 countries um, that do have a relationship. That churches that if the church says that there is a legitimate separation here, if the church says these people are married, they're married. If the church says they're separated, they're separated, and, and the governments will acknowledge that and, and, and not to the church and say we agree with you. But there's other relationships where um, that's opposite. And in the United States, this is a completely different issue. There's no relationship whatsoever. So give us just a, a brief summary of those types of different relationships. Okay, um, I've got a doctoral dissertation that somebody wrote maybe 20 years ago on my shelf back there. So I'm just going to speak in generalities. I'm not going to have the dates in the countries correct. I could be guessing that both Italy and Spain at different times have had concordat agreements. And what happens happens in a concordat, I, I'm very visual, so it's like I need this. So you've got, you've got, okay, this is the church. You've got the church and then you've got a country. So church and the country can make an agreement where they decide who has competence to decide obligations of parties in either separation, annulment, or divorce. So I've seen a situation where they decide that they agree the church is going to do it. That would be a concordant one way. There's also a concordant that goes the other way where they decide we're going to let the government do it. However, in the United States, there's no concordant at all. And the default position is the church absolutely has competence to decide cases of separation of spouses and cases of challenging invalidity, which include instructing the parties of their obligations. So in the United States, you know, in the early, let's say the 1920s, um, in the 1920s, the civil forum generally supported morality. So if a husband abandoned his wife, he could end up in jail. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> you were required to support your spouse and work towards the mutual help of the family. But then comes sexual revolution, no-fault divorce, all the crazy stuff that we're seeing now, the lights coming out about what was going on in leadership in the church and different parts of the places. So all that now is turned upside down. And in the civil forum, 
the obligations are decided in such a way as we don't care whether either party did anything that justifies separation at all. Anybody wants a divorce, they get it. And the church never relegated the competence to the government to do that. So um, I've got, I mean, I've gone back even before um, Arcanum in the 1913s, going back to the 1700s, going back to the Council of Trent, the 1500s. The church has ultimate competence over these things and never relegated it. So our hope um, on the canon law form and on the civil law form would be that the church starts holding their competence and challenging the government that, you know, you can't take children away from a spouse that's done nothing to justify separation of spouses. You can't force a husband to pay his wife however many hundreds or thousands of dollars because the wife says she wants a divorce when he's done nothing to justify separation. I mean, that's a long-term goal. Or at least if the government won't listen to us, have the faithful who are still in the church get good pastoral direction. Because right now it's scandalous. You know, you can have a husband and wife who show up at Sunday mass somewhat regularly, and one of them will divorce the other, and the church remains silent. So observers just think, oh, Church doesn't care about divorce. All they care about is entering a second marriage without an home. And then if you live in one of those dioceses where they they send petitioners a, a, a note that says um, your spouse filed for annulment for no grounds, and then they issue the annulment anyway, the what are the faithful to think? To think, oh, anyone who asks for an annulment gets one. It's it's scandal. And what we really need is we need to have the faithful be trying to help the person who's so disillusioned that they feel like they need a divorce. I see parallels to abortion and I see parallels to suicide. The person who files for divorce is not a happy camper. Something is bothering them. Well, let's go find out what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's amazing that you bring that up. I mean, because when you're, you're talking there, you're talking about how, you know, some, some um, how that creates a scandal. We have a, a the husband over here, the wife over here. Um, they were married last week, right? <laughs> um, but now, you know, the, the, um, the, the church is just silent about what happened in, in the civil space. And so complicity, when, when, the, when the silence does breed, does make us complicit, in evil, right? If we don't speak out against evil, it does make us complicit. We see it with abortion, we see it with going on in the election cycle right now, where we very well could have a, a person, um, you know, I don't think it's likely, but it's possible to have a person who could be the most powerful person in the world who claims to be a faithful Catholic, but yet when it comes to family, when it comes to the definition of marriage, when it comes to the definition of life, when it comes to religious freedom, um, he's not with the Catholic Church, and so you have a lot of bishops just silent, just silent on what could become the biggest scandal, you know, in this century. So that's a powerful, that's a very powerful point that you make. But, um, but on on that issue, you you would disagree with someone like Doctor um, Peters because I saw his his um, Ed Peters, the canon lawyer, because I saw his article. Link from your website. Where's the points of departure between between you two right now? Oh, you're really making me remember. <laughs> um, was this him publishing in something in the Quarterly Journal of Catholic Scholars? Yeah. 
and he was describing somebody out there without naming me who's saying that there's an obligation to have the bishop's permission prior to petitioning in a civil form for divorce. Okay, it's coming back to me now. So um, this is a con. This is this is a, there's different people saying different things about this right now, um, and. I've got what, what he did in his article. Well, I don't want to bore your listeners. I haven't corresponded with him in a long time about it. But what I found is he did is he took an Italian work out of context. You know, this, this work was some commentary on canon law written by a canon law professor in Italy. And I think it was since the 1983 code. So then he takes a page out of context and he's like, see, here, this super expert Italian guy that none of my readers can understand because I'm only going to tell you what he said in Italian and I'm going to tell you what he said in Italian. Um, he describes a situation where a bishop could give someone permission to file for divorce. But what Ed Peters didn't do is go like three pages earlier on the same Italian author where the Italian author was very clear, you need the bishop's permission prior to filing the civil forum for divorce. So uh, I, that's kind of where that, that, that one ended with he and I. Because there was a time where nobody could get a civil divorce at all in the church. And then it started to change. But then the question became, well, under what circumstances would that be okay? And the example I remember reading about is a country where a woman had a legitimate reason to be separated. I can't remember if the husband committed adultery and they, were, they needed to be separated because of that. I don't remember. But the woman had to work. And she had a church separation decree. So she was in good standing with the church. But in her country, she wasn't allowed to have a job if she um, didn't have a civil divorce. Because for all they know, she was abandoning her husband. That kind of thing. The civil form was upholding marriage. So this was a question the church had to answer. It's like, whoa, what do we do about this poor woman? And now it's all the reverse. But the reason in common sense that one needs the bishop's permission or some church entity. Like, I mean, we don't really care what law the church came up with, but the, the church came up with this law, that there has to be an outside church entity because the church has the obligation to protect the public good of the faithful, the children, the other spouse, even the spouse himself. Let's say someone was having a weird brain tumor and he wasn't thinking straight and he thought the solution was to dump his wife and he goes to civil forum and they're all happy to take his money because the lawyers love it. And um, so if that was a situation, the church cares about marriage. So the church is the one that's supposed to be judging whether there's a legitimate reason for separation or not. And if there's not a legitimate reason for separation, I've got historical jurisprudence going back for centuries that say the church's response is to recognize that somebody is an abandoner. Hmm. It's kind of like people are, you, you, you've, I'm, I'm guessing you've seen things about how people are frustrated that Biden's bishop is doing nothing. You know, here's Biden talking about we have to allow for a gay marriage, we have to allow for abortion, we have to support a much abortion with tax money, and he's saying he's a Catholic, and people are pulling their hair out. You know, they're so happy when someone finally says you can't be a Catholic and hold these positions. Well, if someone's abandoning their marriage, the church has the same obligation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was the thing with Ed Peters. Yeah, yeah. And so in, in his his perspective is that in this essay, do Catholics need ecclesial, um, ecclesiastical permission to divorce? And his position seems to be, 
consistent with yours when it comes to relationships in concordant countries that have a relationship with the church, but he's saying in the United States where there's there seems to be some sort of limbo gray area, he makes some some arguments about why that isn't isn't necessary. But what what you're saying is that is that Catholics have still have a responsibility regardless of whether there is a relationship with the Catholic Church or not and between the civil government that Catholics still should follow canon law and still first seek remedy in the, in the, in the church about marriage and, and separation right that's the canon laws that I've uncovered that I say have been collecting dust okay. and I think they can serve a purpose and people are saying contrary things so in it's it's kind of complicated but I mean, once you get into the canon law stuff about it, but just think about it. Does it make sense that the church wants to have competence to decide whether parties have a legitimate reason to separate or not compared to letting a no-fault divorce court decide? Does that make sense? I mean, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like scripture. You know, Jesus says, if you have a disagreement with your brother, first go to him. If that doesn't work, then take another one with you. And if that still doesn't work, go to the church. It doesn't say go to the civil government. But it definitely takes two faithful Catholics um, to, you know, to, to do that. It's, it's, I mean, we're, we're living in, in, in a society, and it's sad. It's really sad. But we're just living in, in a society like this where we trust the government more than we trust the church. Um, that, that, you know, we could, put some, we, could, we could point a lot of blame in a lot of places why that's the case nowadays. Well, but, um, but and, yeah. And you're you're getting to the point about how it, it is sad that the, the church's official position in the United States seems to be that the civil form is the one who should decide how separations occur. But it's also sad that some leadership in the church is doing things that someone who's been a faithful Catholic their whole life looks at the catechism can know there's something funny going on. So then the question goes back to what does one do when one is living in a time like this? Okay, great. I mean, not great in that sense, but we accept the reality of where we are. And then for those who are in the separated faithful circumstance, they just get up in the morning knowing this hurts. Okay. There's loneliness. Okay. I can try to make up for it as best I can. Sure. And in the meantime, what do we do? I mean, there's lots of injustices and justices have been going around having a historical perspective helps. And um, I, I, met, I think I mentioned that I'm taking some um, under some grad school classes right now, trying to, be eligible to enroll in canon law program because all my canon law work is self-study. But you know, I'm reading about the Arian heresy and there were faithful people fighting each other. People were getting their tongues cut out because they disagreed on things and eventually the dust settles. So if you were living in that time and you were on the side that Jesus Christ absolutely is the son of God and you've got some priest who's quoting Arius who's saying, no, he's not, you can't worship him. He's just a man, you know, it's trouble, okay, but we'll get over it. And, and we might not even get over it until after we die. I mean, like all these issues, they took decades to get here. It's gonna take decades to clean them up. Yeah. And on a personal perspective, as a separated faithful, one says, you know, I just need to be concerned about what I'm gonna say when I face Jesus when I die. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I really like your ministry, um, I like, I mean, because it doesn't, what you're, what you're encouraging spouses to do, I mean, there's definitely no harm in that. I mean, just like you said, there's no, there's nothing wrong with being with being faithful. There's nothing wrong with 
accepting suffering, offering it up. Um, I mean, there's tremendous graces in this, in accepting suffering. So, um, so yeah. And um, your your uh, your ministry, you also said that you um that you guys you encourage cooperation with outside resources that facilitate reconciliation. What does that mean? There are some people who I, I would say they're experts at helping couples reconcile. Um, one of them, like Greg and Julie Alexander of the Alexander House, if you're not familiar with their work, invite them to speak to your listeners because they had a marriage crisis, horrible marriage crisis. They both willingly talk about it now, like 20 years ago. Um, one was committing adultery. I think maybe both were committing adultery. And they went to, they thought they should get divorced. They went to a priest and the priest challenged Greg, the husband, to go learn what the church really teaches about marriage. And he did. And he got an epiphany. And he asked his wife to kneel down next to their bed in their bedroom and pray that if we can get our marriage straightened out, we're going to help others get their marriage straightened out. So like he's developed a, a, a method where a married couple that has gone through a crisis, who's trained by Greg and Julie, will kind of like coach or walk with another couple that's in a horrible marriage crisis. And he's got like a 93% success rate. It's like things can be done to help people who are in marriage crisis, which is why I say it's similar to the abortion or the suicide feeling. Yeah. In, in, but if, if instead the response people get who are feeling terrible is, oh, you need to get your divorce. Oh, you're not really married. Oh, you can probably get in the moment. If that's what people are told, it's not, it's not helping at all. So like I point people to Greg and Julie Alexander. Um, I, it's been suggested that I should learn to be one of those kind of people. I'm like, you know, I only have so much of a brain and so many hours of the day. And yeah. I'm, I'm finding that my niche might be this, this canon law stuff because if we can help um, ecclesiastical leadership recognize that there's something wrong with the civil forum deciding obligations and try to hold accountable someone who abandons a marriage, at least say something to them, maybe, and, and try to get the right kind of help, you know, some number of marriages. Yeah. I like this conversation that's going on between people like yourself and the people that are with um with um, Ed Peters, I think it's a good conversation. I think there's um, it, it needs to, it needs to take place. I mean, there, there's obviously I think there's a, a correct answer or a correct resolution that needs to happen, right? But it, I, I think both both I think both sides can agree that um, the, the we, there's a lot of work to do. I think with teaching about what marriage is, teaching about what family is, teaching about what sex is for long before we get to this point where people feel like they have to quit marriage. Um, and so, it's, you know, it's like, a, um, you know, you brought up abortion a couple of times, the similarities. There's a lot of work to do. Abortion is a symptom of some very sick things that's going on before uh, that, that woman often, oftentimes um, finds herself at Planned Parenthood, right? Um, so, um, yeah, we're, we're seeing, I mean, the whole Our Lady of Fatima, told Lucia that that um, Satan's last battle is going to be marriage and family. Yeah. Now, is this, is this it right now? It kind of, it's pretty bad right now. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, and I also have been told having someone be a separated faithful is a, a quiet um, testimony. Like, 
one of the people on our call last month was talking about a family that she knows, a husband and wife, who are having marriage difficulties. And they've known the separated faithful woman for years. And the married woman is tremendously inspired by the separated faithful woman to stick it out in her own marriage, to figure it out. That that being a separated faithful is a, is a, is a quiet testimony, it's a road sign that this is important and this matters. And it, it's, worth, it's worth trying, it's worth doing. And, then, and as far as the civil forum goes, until I mean, if the if the church can't even Stanley strongly stand up against marriages falling apart, and at least you know and decide whether there's a legitimate reason to separate or not, until we can get that straightened out, I don't see any hope in getting the civil forum straightened. My goodness, and we had a little bit of time left, and it won't keep you past. An hour, but let me get to a question here. Um, Jean Zutz, Zutz, I hope I pronounced your name right, Jean. Um, is there a way to cease sealed annulment docs after 30 years? To see them or see? See, see them, the ones that are sealed. I didn't even know they were sealed. But is um, there a way to... I, I I don't know. Um, I know that going through the process, if someone is a respondent, they're supposed to be mailed a copy of the petitioner's petition. Mm -hmm. um, so that one they would have, they're supposed to have to keep where the petition describes the, the grounds and describes what facts and proofs in a general way are upon which they're relying to support those grounds. And then once testimony is supposed to be collected and a party can go in and read the testimony, so that one, they're not allowed to take home in the first place. But then the final definitive sentence, they're supposed to be given their own copy of that too. So if someone wants a copy of their own final definitive sentence, where the tribunal is supposed to say, this is our, our conclusion, this is why, these are the facts it's based on, I don't see any reason why someone shouldn't be able to write and say, you know, I misplaced my copy of the own definitive sentence. I'm the party. I'm, I have a right to have right. it. Email right. it to me. But all the proofs that went into that, I don't even know if they keep those forever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Gene was talking about seeing someone else's documents or, or seeing their own, but yeah. Well, because who's, who's, who's that? Who's that? Um, who's that? Was that King Henry the Eighth? Who's that guy who first sought divorce from the? Who's that? King Henry the Eighth was a super Catholic who defended the Church against uh, Luther, and then when he didn't have the child he wanted to have, and right. he got interested in some other sweet young thing he dumped his wife and he wanted to marry the new lady and that time the church said it ain't going to happen so he had to invent his own church <laughs> how do you like that history lesson right when I, when, I, when I think of someone who doesn't agree with the church's decisions that, that's the first thing that's the first guy that comes to mind you know so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, how's that working out for us right <laughs> division after division after division after division Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, really, that's a really a, a great story. I think, I think in that instance, the the church saw that they, hey, you're married, you're married, and um, and they, they stuck to their guns. So well, and the other thing is, what example is being given to young people? What's the point of getting married at all? I mean, there's this whole movement. Am I going to remember the acronym? Like men walking away from women, way woe or or something. I don't have the acronym in my mind. But it's, there's a whole segment of men who like, forget it. Women are just a nightmare. 
Because if you marry them, you're risking losing your children and your property. It's like going to jail. You could go to jail right. anyway. So it's like, and then the government certainly doesn't care. So they crucify, no, well, whatever. The government will put a husband through unjust, unjust situations when he didn't do anything to deserve separation. And then in the church, if you live in one of those dioceses where they publicize everyone come get your annulment and they give it to everyone, it's like, what, what's the point? Yeah. It's very sad. It is sad. It is sad. Well, Bay, thanks so much for coming on Talking Catholic and um, talking about this very, very important issue. And uh, one more time before we leave, how can my, um, how can people who are fans of this channel, Talking Catholic, or watching this video, how can we find you and um, how can we support your ministry? All right. Well, marysadvocates.org is the website. And there's a section about resources in the main menu. So depending on where a listener is, they can go to resources. Now I'm getting something on my thing telling me what to do. Um, so Mary's Advocates in resources. And look for um, supporting separated, supporting a support network for running into other people who are also separated faithful. Or go look for uh, defending marriage for ideas both in the canon law forum asking one's bishop to intervene in the case where the other spouse professes to be a Catholic and seems to be pushing for divorce. We have some stuff on there about constitutional principles too, but marysadvocates.org. Awesome. Well, thanks, May. Thanks for coming on Talking Catholic. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Fool me, we can't get fooled again.